Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. Today, I'm talking to Sunel Barnes, the editor of the anthology Measure of Belonging, 21 Writers of Color on the New American South, which is out now from Hub City Press. For a full transcript of this episode, check out the show notes on readingwomenpodcast.com and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. The moment I heard about this anthology, I knew I wanted to talk to Sunel about uh, this book. And Sunel Barnes was shortlisted for the Reading Moon Award, I believe back in 2018 for Monsoon Mansion. This anthology is a very much needed anthology. And, you know, recently, well, throughout our podcast history, but recently I've especially wanted to highlight regional uh, authors and this anthology offers the opportunity to highlight 21 writers and their work, including Kiese Lehman, uh, Tony Jensen, and Natalia Sylvester, and who was also shortlisted for the Reading Win Award for Fiction uh, the same year as Sunel Barnes. So that was really a fabulous uh, coincidence to see such amazing writers all in one anthology. And so today I talked to Sunel about how this project came to be and her thoughts on the South and moving from the Philippines and ending up in South Carolina and the low country down in Charleston. So I am just so thrilled to be able to talk to Sunel today. So a little bit about Sunel Barnes before we get started. Like I said, she immigrated from the Philippines to the United States and now lives in Charleston, South Carolina. She has a memoir called Monsoon Mansion and an essay collection called Maya, and those are out from Little A Publishing. She has also published essays and uh, shorter pieces in a wide range of publications. And of course, all of her information will be linked down in the show notes if you want to go check that out. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Snell Barnes. Um, well, welcome to the podcast, Sunil. I'm so excited to finally be able to have you on. Thank you so much. I am a big fan of reading women, and you guys have been so good to me and just so supportive of um, my body of work. And I'll never forget the day um, I heard that reading women discussed my first book, Monsoon Mansion. And so it's, it's been a great journey with you guys. Yeah, huge, huge fans. And um, I haven't read your essay collection yet, but I believe Sachi read it and really enjoyed it as well. So uh, for listeners, definitely go pick up all your books and I'll make sure to link them in the show notes so that people can go check it out and and see all of that discussion. But uh, I guess we, I always start asking, how are you doing? How are you holding up right now during the chaos that is 2020? <laughs> Believe it or not, I feel great right now, Um, but that's because I think we were hit really hard by everything that's going on earlier on. My family, my siblings and their spouses, many of them got sick with COVID back in March, um, and some were hospitalized, and so we really felt it during the, the lockdown, and then we were going through several other changes in our family and in the writing world. And so it was, it was truly a perfect storm right around March and April. So I feel like we've come up for air now. We're learning how to mitigate situations. 
Maybe. I don't know. Um, just this feeling, I think just, just having something to look forward to, like the release of this anthology helped. So I've been very excited about this project. You just mentioned being excited for the release of A Measure of Belonging. Um, So you've written a memoir and essays um, already. Uh, What inspired you to want to put together this anthology, which seems like a totally different kind of project? Yeah, in the introduction to the book, I talk about this specific experience from about a decade ago where I felt uninvited to my new home, um, which is South Carolina. I had moved from up north in New York City, um, where all the hustle and bustle was, to um, a much smaller city, still a city, but much smaller, and felt immediately that some of my thoughts or some of my beliefs or some of my ways were not going to be welcome here. And instead of letting that deter me or letting that get to me and doing what others predicted I would do, which was turn right back around and go back to New York, I thought, well, you know what? I am actually going to be the big person who will not be like this person that made me feel unwelcome here. I will use what I have and use what I know to welcome others and invite others and invite them and make them comfortable enough to share their stories with me. And so really, this book came out of a feeling rejected a decade ago and following that feeling with offering others the opposite which is acceptance and comfort and hospitality, right? We always talk about Southern hospitality. Um, So this book really, um, you'll see that it has a very strong sense of place in every essay. I wanted to make hospitality something completely different from what others might expect um, or others might have experienced in this region. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is the book Wrong Kind of Woman by Sarah McCraw Crow. Wrong Kind of Woman is an engrossing multivocal story of grief, identity, and belonging set on a campus of an elite all-men's college in 1970 amid protests against the Vietnam War, calls for co-education, and the rise of the feminist movement. For fans of Meg Wallister's The Wife and Chloe Benjamin's The Immortalist, The Wrong Kind of Woman is the perfect pick for you. Told through alternating perspectives, The Wrong Kind of Woman is a thoughtful, engrossing story of grief and renewal, of shedding old identities and finding new ways to belong, beautifully woven against the backdrop of the rapid changes of the early 70s. In a time when stories of women's empowerment are in high demand, this book's view into the rise of second wave feminism shines a light on how far we've come on some issues, like co-education, and how little has changed on others, like frat house culture and women's health. This book is also perfect for book clubs. You can find Wrong Kind of Woman by Sarah McCraw Crow wherever books are sold. 
I really loved your introduction um, where you talk about um, also where the title came from, um, A Measure of Belonging. Um, was that always the title of the collection or did, it, or did that come after you had already decided to like embark on this new project? Yeah, the title came actually after we had assembled all the essays together. Um, we had placed them one after the other and I had begged for a 21st writer. Personally, <laughs> <laughs> we thought we were going to publish 20 essays and there was just this one that I begged the publishers to include because it was going to be the perfect ending to the book. But A Measure of Belonging came from Tony Jensen's essay and it had popped out to me and to Meg Reed who was the director of Hub City Press, when we were both giving the essays a final read. And the working title was just here, the word here, pertaining to the South, um, pertaining to the region that's just rife with, you know, a lot of the things that you hear about in the news these days and a lot of the things that people actually also don't hear about. And... We thought, well, that's that's just a little bit too on the nose, and we're still talking about a physical place as opposed to um, the way I put it in the introduction was make this place a we rather than an it, and we just thought that line was going to be perfect, right? And and that phrase is so telling of what we wanted to do and what we didn't quite expect we would actually accomplish. The word measure can mean so many things, and the word measure is true to what the writers in this anthology have done. You know, we vary in in how we feel about the South, and we vary in how we've found our place here, and we vary in in style and writing style, and we definitely vary in voice, we even vary in form. Each one of the essays here is a measure of our lives here, right? So it, it, it gave it a little bit more fluidity and it gave it kind of this tension that I think we're trying to discuss in the book. So how did this project end up at Hub City Press, which seems like such a, a perfect home for it? Yeah, um, so most of my... Well, my two books are with Little A. My first two books are with Little A. And most of my other essays are with New York-based publications. And I thought that, you know, the book would be a miss if we didn't go with a regional publisher. I wanted to be very conscious about every single decision that went into this book, whether it was the selection of the writers or the way I assembled um, one essay after the other, or whether it was the book cover, or um, how we placed, you know, the contributors' bios in the end, who it, who the book was going to benefit. You know, many of the writers in A Measure of Belonging donated their writers' fees to um, a nonprofit that serves and protects Black, Indigenous, and um, people of color in the South. And it, it just felt right to also make a strategic 
and wise decision to support and be supported by, you know, Hub City Press. The ladies there are really doing such great work for writers and readers in the region. And they shared this mission with me. And it was almost serendipitous when I had lunch with Meg and um, Betsy of Hub City. When I presented the idea to them, it was almost verbatim, the idea that they were presenting to me. And so I think this book had had just been, the idea for the book had just been brewing in many people's minds. And the <laughs> doer that I am just happened to be that person to finally pull that trigger. And, and you know, the book is about home, right? The book is about here. And this book needed Hub City to be its home. Also, Hub City was actually the first place to publish anything that I'd written. Um, A long time ago, they published a prose poem of mine called Kamayan, which is the Tagalog word for to eat with hands. And um, that came out of a workshop that they were hosting. And so it just felt right to come home in that sense and bring to them a project that um, may or may not have burgeoned out of that writing exercise from a long time ago. It's almost like um, a full circle kind of experience there. Yeah, certainly. And I I love what you said about how each decision that you made with this book, you were going to do it with intention and awareness. And uh, you mentioned, you know, and how that also includes the contributors. How did you go about finding all the different contributors for this essay collection? This is going to sound cheesy, but the answer is that (laughs) it was just people I loved to read. You know, and people that um, my husband or the folks at Hub City or my literary agent or my writing group love to read. And I remember doing, so I'd already built a list. And if you, if you don't know this about me, people, I am very type A. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I, I write lyrically. Um, but that lyricism comes out of a very structured office manager persona. So I had already compiled names on a Google spreadsheet and thought, you know what, this is a community-focused project, so I should involve the community more. And I remember doing a call on my Instagram stories just saying, I have a secret project. I can tell you this much. Who are your favorite writers of color in the region? Or writing about the region. And people just fired away, you know. And um, there were some names I had never heard of. Some names that I'm like, I can't believe I missed that one. And some names I'm like, yeah, they want this person. That person's already on the list. And... You know, some of these writers were my own teachers. Some of these writers have been in my workshops. I've taught them or they've taught me. So I think that's part of the awareness and intention 
that I brought into this book is to make sure that this book reflects the generosity and the kinship of writers in general, but Southern writers too, and, you know, Black Indigenous writers, writers of color. I also wanted to show that we had, we had this, we have this very natural kinship and we are naturally generous to each other, whether it's by giving each other writing advice or reading each other's work or publishing each other's work, you know? So I I wanted to give readers a feel for that as well. So you had this theme of, of, of belonging of, of here. And I imagine as you were, you know, editing the collection that that was always in the back of your mind. But in addition to that, what were some of the themes or ideas that you saw recurring in the essays or something that you noted like, oh, of course, um, or anything that you learned from putting these essays together in this anthology? Yeah, some early readers have told me that they felt such a sense of movement, you know, whether it's big gestures or, um, you know, um, small indicators of some kind of change or move or some kind of destination. And that wasn't planned. And that just came about as we started gathering the essays. But I remember thinking when someone brought that up, well, that's natural because we're talking about place or places and places have memory and places have pulse and places breathe. You think that a house is a solid structure, a house breathes, a house moves and it makes room for other things to grow and other things to be dynamic. And so that's definitely a sense that you'll get throughout. Another um, sweet, sweet surprise was how every one of the writers kind of brought their own cadence to the anthology. You know, you'll hear the music that they probably were listening to or um, while they were writing these essays or music that maybe they grew up with or even the essays that have nothing to do with music, I think you'll get a sense for the cadence of the writer's heart and mind and and their environment. And you'll kind of get, you'll you'll feel the beat, definitely. You'll feel some kind of rhythm in each one. So another sweet surprise was, you know, I wanted to make sure that we show diversity within diversity, that, we all sound different. We all write differently. We we all understand the essay form and use the essay form differently. And, and each writer kind of has their signature way of writing nonfiction. And I expected that. But when I started receiving the drafts, I remember being so pleasantly surprised at how much more diversity and how much more nuance there actually was. It was almost like I was expecting to get, you know, a five ingredient smoothie. And instead I got like a 30 ingredient one (laughs) and it all works together. And, and I, I was just, it was, it was such a gift. Like this, 
the process of putting this book together and editing them at the developmental, but also line level. It's been such a gift for me. I learned so much, you know, I always, I've told all the writers that, you know, it seems like I'm supposed to be teaching you something or I'm supposed to be holding your hand or I'm supposed to um, give you notes, but really I'm on the receiving end. And this, this is a gift to me. And, and that was such a good sign because I knew that's what it was going to be like for the reader. I, I love that. And I think for many people who don't live in the region or who might just live outside the United States and, and not really are as aware of the different regions of the United States besides, you know, what they see on TV, there's an incredible amount of cultural diversity in the South. And one of our co-hosts, Jacqueline, moved to Texas from Australia. And so we talk a lot about the South. And um, I moved here from Appalachian, Ohio. So while I might be kind of related, we might say, to the South from Appalachia, it's uh, very, very different. And I love how this is a measure of belonging of people of color writing here in the South. And so I thought we might be able to talk a little bit about the South for you and, and why. I mean, obviously, this is inspired by a love of a region, even one that wasn't entirely accepting. Um, so what about the South for you makes it, I guess, makes it special and makes you, I don't want to say maybe demand space, but, but basically, yeah, be like, I am here. This is also mine as well. Um, and just have that conversation with this, with this text, um, which is something that was very much impressed upon me when, when I was reading it. My husband grew up here and his imagination was shaped by this place. And as difficult as it's been at times, I've told myself, how can I not love the place that shaped the imagination of the person who gets my imagination, you know? Um, the odd thing is that I grew up in the Philippines impoverished, living in a house that was abandoned, basically. And he grew up, he actually grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and um, grew up in a military family from a long line of Presbyterian ministers. So our childhoods could not have been any more different. But I will never forget the day we met on like at a rooftop on 36th street and 6th Avenue in New York city thinking, Oh my gosh, is this the person that I wish I were childhood friends with? He's like, he's like my imaginary friend from childhood that came to life, you know? And I remember thinking, how can that be? How can it be that someone who grew up in a place that's seemingly so different from my childhood home, be kin to me. And for the past decade, it has been a discovery of that why. You know, is it is it because it's humid here? Like it's humid in the Philippines. Maybe that's why I I claim this 
as as home. Maybe. Is it the storms? I mean, my first book was, you know, for crying out loud, called Monsoon <laughs> Mansion. Here we are in the middle of yet another storm. And when if it doesn't storm here or if it doesn't rain here, or they're saying there's no rip current. I almost don't know this place. Right. Um, is it that or is it is it the the social stratification that is so familiar to me because we have that in the Philippines as well? Or is it just people's love for food? You know, is it? Is it the fact that they grow rice here too? I don't know. (laughs) There's just so many little reminders of home and markers of my identity that I've found here, that I've stumbled upon, that I didn't expect to be here. You know, and and I think that again is reflected in the anthology that these little kernels of wisdom or little, you know, gems and pebbles, or it's like the shark's tooth that you, you find during your walk, your morning walk at the beach. You don't know how it got there. You don't know how old this shark was. You don't know if this shark is prehistoric or what, but you have found it. And so I think, I think that's, that's what it is. It's these little... These little totems that I've been finding along the way. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Orate, a fine jewelry company based in New York City, founded by women for women. Pieces range from classic to statement to completely original. Orate makes jewelry you've always wanted but could never find. Orate's jewelry is of excellent quality, the gold feels substantial, and the diamonds sparkle and shine. Such high quality and so beautiful. And you get this high quality jewelry for a great low price. Because Orate sells directly to you without the middleman markup, they can offer the same quality as traditional Fifth Avenue brands at a fraction of the cost. Orate is also made by women for women. It was started by two friends during brunch when one got a green finger from an overpriced ring, sparking a conversation about how they were fed up with the traditional jewelry market. I really love how Orange jewelry is very simple and you can combine different things like stackable rings or simple pendants to create a look all your own and As someone who's always looking for jewelry that's simple and modern, but will still make a statement, Ori is just up my alley. Ori is offering Reading Woman listeners a special 15% off your first purchase. Uh, You can go to oratenewyork.com slash readingwomen. That's orate, A-U-R-A-T-E, newyork.com slash readingwomen. So you can get 15% off your first purchase by going to oratenewyork.com slash readingwomen. I think the South is such a, it's such a fascinating place with so much diversity like you're talking about within it. I find learning more about the South. I learn more about the South every day. There's so many interesting things here there's so much culture here and i i love to see 
that celebrated. And that's something that I think that is really special about this collection is that people from the South, in particular, um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color from the South can see themselves celebrated and um, included in a way that unfortunately is not always the case. And that's just something that I think makes this special and makes it a book that I just want to walk down the street and hand to people. The word isn't magic, but it's just something that I think is is something that's been needed and something that is just really well done with the collection. That that gave me goosebumps because that's what I'm hoping people walk away with is they read it, they learn a thing or two, they feel seen, and then they feel activated to pass it on. This this is that kind of book. This is the book that you share. Um, like I was talking earlier about the generosity of the writing community. I also believe in the generosity of the reading community, especially right now. It's these acts of, of compassion. It's, it's these acts of generosity and, and, and selflessness and of one of desiring to live outside of ourselves that I think will help us live another day. (laughs) I definitely think that's something that's unique about this book. And I really love that it comes from the region. And it's something that this definitely hits the spot. And one of the great things about an anthology is that it introduces you to a whole range of new writers. It's like a buffet. And then if you like what you read, you can go back and you can find more. And it's sort of like just getting a sample of all the amazing writing that you could go and find. Yes. This is just a teaser for, you know, the wealth of knowledge and wealth of skill and depth of skill that's, that's out there. And yeah. And and I'm so glad that you said that because it's so true. I learned of new writers, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you would say this about yourself. I think I'm a pretty avid reader. (laughs) I think I'm pretty well read, but to discover, right? Like that's why we read. We read to discover and we read to to connect. And again, this is, the word might not be magic, but it kind of, (laughs) that's kind of the magic of the book is um, you get to meet people. So we've we talked a little bit about how this book has uh, a sense of place, a deep sense of place. But what are some of the, the, I guess, places of this book and what can readers expect to find there? Yeah, this um, it's really the places that I love the most about the South, um, everywhere from a basketball court. So there's, you know, college sports, which is pretty much the heart, I think, of (laughs) Southern culture. Um, From that kind of place is something more mundane, like the DMV. Um, It's people's front porches. It's a recording studio. It's someone's car. Um, It's a classroom. You know, the places that I think readers find themselves in day in and day out. Uh, and maybe they didn't know that there was a story there. Maybe they didn't know that that a place as mundane as a DMV 
could be such um, a setting for um, a little bit of tension, you know? So yeah, it's, it's all these mundane um, venues, mundane places of work and places to pass time um, and then more unexpected places like someone's specific car or a recording studio. I really love that when people can make everyday things something fascinating and make this really dramatic or, or like you said, have that tension in that kind of essay. I think that's, I don't know, it just takes an incredible amount of talent to be able to work that, but it's beautiful when you find it. So that's great. Yeah, you'll never walk in and out of the DMV the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, maybe what are some Southern writers of color that you would recommend that weren't included in this anthology, uh, but you would also highly recommend uh, to our listeners? Yeah. I mean, uh, Jasmine Ward just released this heartbreaking yet so beautiful essay in Vanity Fair. Of course, her whole body of work, she's got all the accolades, but I highly recommend her as far as Essays, I also recommend Karen Good Marable, who I had the pleasure of sharing a writing residency space with very recently. And you know, she was a music journalist for a while and um, has writing has been writing a lot about um, home as well, um, being a Brooklyn girl now in Georgia. Um, so she writes a lot about that as well. Crystal Wilkinson and I met because we did an event together in New York about our memoirs. And again, kind of like with my husband, she grew up in the South and I grew up in the Philippines. And we both had written these family stories. And as different as our families were, we found so many similarities between us um, and our families and yeah and you know outside of that there's also a lot of great writing on art other art forms in the south by southern artists and essays coming out of the Halsey Institute of Contemporary Art that's a great source and you know anything really that the Bitter Southerner or Scalawag um, publishes also it's a great introduction to a plethora of Southern writers. Love the, the Bitter Southerner and that the, their, their Waffle House um, <laughs> like photo essay situation happening was amazing. I went to the first Waffle House ever like last year because I'm gluten free. So like, you know. But once you go in and you start talking to the people, it's like, oh, it clicks. Like, oh, this is why. This is why it's like, I don't know, food houses of worship, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true, particularly of this reason. <laughs> All right. Well, the last question I have for you is, um, in addition to events for uh, a measure of belonging, uh, what's on, uh, what's next for you? Are you working on any exciting projects that you want to share or anything like that? Yeah, I have 
a little project that's getting started. Uh, I just went away for 10 days at this um, writing residency to get some research work done, or at least research work gets started. Hopefully that means there's the third book in the future. And so if you've read Monsoon Mansion, which is about my childhood and my childhood home, and Malaya, my second book is about my immigration story and adoption story into the United States and um, my story of becoming a new mom in the South. This is kind of a continuation of that, and it might even involve a trip back home, um, which I'm equally excited and terrified about, given that I haven't been back to the Philippines in almost 20 years. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Well, good luck with your next project. And, you know, cross my fing- you know, cross our fingers. I-, I look forward to reading it, whenever that may be. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you guys are always so kind to me. And I'm always excited to um, just have any kind of affiliation and really friendship with you all and I'm always excited to be able to just say hello to your listeners well we love saying hello to you too and thanks for coming on I'd like to thank Snell Barnes for talking with me about the anthology A Measure of Belonging which is out now from Hub City Press you can find her on Instagram at Sunil Barnes Books. And of course, all of her information will be linked in the show notes. I'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose continued support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find me at KD Winchester. And thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.